You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. He is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. We have our a full group of full-timers from Lions 24-7 on this episode of the podcast. Tyler Calvaruso joining us a little bit later to talk about the latest in recruiting. He's got a wide receiver board reset for the 2024 class. That is a position that still does not have any commits on board yet. A lot to dive into at that position. We have some quarterback updates. We'll also get a longer look at quarterbacks this weekend here in Happy Valley as the Elite 11 regional circuit rolls on into State College. We will be there on the field on Sunday. We'll look ahead to that. Some of the names to know early on with Tyler Calvaruso. We begin by bringing back on board Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. I want to say to our listeners out there, apologies for some of our connection issues the last couple of episodes, um, some lagging issues and stuff like that. Heard from several of you. I think we've got some of that remedied. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, apologies, a little embarrassed about that, but I think we're back on track now. And Mark, Daniel, happy to have you on board. We, we mentioned Daniel got some time away. Mark, you know, snuck away off to Jamaica for about a week. He's back here, not too fried from the looks of it. So congratulations to you for that. Uh, but Mark, good to have you back in town. And like I said, we'll all be back on a field on Sunday to watch some quarterbacks throw the ball. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be fun and uh, ramping up to uh, June camp. So this is going to be awesome. Mark, I, I, we spent a ton of time, Daniel and I, last episode breaking down uh, this influx of players that came through with the mid-May enrollment. Classes got going on Monday. These guys are getting settled into their new routine. Uh, from the transfer perspective, just to remind our listeners, and maybe if they missed the last episode or had some trouble listening to it, Dante Cephas at wide receiver, defensive tackle Alonzo Ford, and running back Trey Potts are the scholarship pickups as transfer players. You've got Addison Penn as a walk-on addition from Duke on the offensive line, going to be an interior piece. And then the freshman that just came to campus, defensive tackle Tyreek Blanding, safeties Dakari Nelson and King Mack, linebacker Kavion Keys, running backs London Montgomery and Cam Wallace, tight end Andrew Rappelier, and defensive end Joseph Mapoye. So, Look, you've got about 10, 11 names there to sort through, Mark. What stands out to you about what James Franklin and company just brought to town? I think it's pretty easy. I think if you're looking at the instant impact type guys, it's more than likely going to be the transfers only because this team is so deep and talented that it's going to be more difficult, I think, for some of the true freshmen who are just enrolling now to make that immediate immediate impact. But I think everybody's going to be looking at Cephas, you know, a guy who averaged over 15 yards per catch at Kent State. Uh, what's he? What is he able to do and come in to a wide receiver group that, you know, James Franklin said, you know, going into that last week of, pre, of uh, spring ball, they really had only two established guys, thought they had it maybe a third after that blue-white game, but still a lot of playing time to be had. I think adding pots is big. You know, you look at where they are uh, running back-wise, obviously you have two established young running backs, but we've learned how how important it is to have depth at that position. And not only do you have depth, but you have a guy who's played three years in the Big Ten 239 carries, five yards per carry. I mean, this is a battle-tested Big Ten running back who can do a lot of things. And I think Alonzo Ford, that was obviously a position of, of need. He's not the biggest guy. It kind of struck me when I went back and looked at his recruiting profile. Uh, he almost looked like he was kind of heavy set and chunky. And then you go and look at photos of him from Old Dominion, excuse me, as my phone's going off, and he looked like a slimmer uh, you know, just he, he slimmed down. They, they listed him at 6'3", 272. So he's not going to be that giant run stuffer, but I think he's going to be another nice piece in there. You know, when you go to the – and I'll just talk about this because I know you guys kicked this around. But when you go to the true freshman, you know, you know uh, Raplia, is that how you pronounce it? Raplia. Yeah, Raplia. You'll, you'll get used to it pretty yeah. soon, I think. Yeah. But I think 
as you if you look at the tight ends who are coming in, even though the other two kids got here before he did, he just seems to me like the guy who's most ready to play this year. Because I just think he he has that combination of size. I think he can do some blocking for you. And I, I just think he's the one guy who could really make an impact. Over on defense, it's going to be tough. I mean, we've talked about how deep that defense is. is. Uh, got a little bit of a, of, a, of a tidbit of information that I thought was pretty cool today. One guy who's turned heads really um, almost immediately was King Mack. He ran a 4-3-8-40. So he's not the biggest guy. Uh, but he's obviously athletic. Could could he be a guy who makes an impact on special teams? The issue for King Mack is, and we talked about it all spring, when you look at that safety position, how difficult is it going to be for somebody to claw their way up and, and fight for playing time there? So I think the athleticism gives him that opportunity, uh, but the, the the depth there. And I think one guy that, that we should keep an eye on, and we've heard, we heard good things about him even though he wasn't here, uh, was Ty Blanding the D tackle? You know, he was called quick, athletic, twitchy. Uh, I think he's another guy who's a year or two away, as most defensive tackles are. But could he be a guy if somebody gets banged up uh, who maybe get a little bit of a look? So I know I gave that a pretty quick overview, but I didn't want to go too long because I know you guys already went over most of this stuff. Yeah, and, and Blanding is a guy that, that we caught up with toward the end of last week before he came to campus. I mentioned this on the podcast, making a big move culturally from New York City to Happy Valley. But you mentioned that quickness, and, and we're talking about a guy that's now north of 270 pounds. He thinks he can settle in in the mid-280 range and really be effective where he needs to be at the college level. But last time he was had a documented 40-yard dash, he was at 4-7 range. And, I mean, that, that, that speaks to the quickness, and James Franklin has pointed to him. Uh, along with London Montgomery, along with quarterback Jackson Smolik, as some players in this class, for one reason or another, that they feel like are a little undervalued by the recruiting industry, uh, maybe slept on uh, nationally and maybe among Penn State fans about what they added with this 2023 freshman class. And that kind of segues us into what is very on brand for May in college football coverage. And we'll go to a football mailbag right now because Let's face it, there's not a lot of news to cover at the moment, but there are plenty of topics to chew on and debate and get into at this time of year. And we've got four uh, that have been accrued over the course of the last several weeks. We haven't hit the mailbag very much. I think we're going to start a thread over at Lions 24-7 as this summer goes on where people can drop in their podcast questions. I think that'll be good for our VIP subscribers. Um, but for now, I just want to work off of what we got uh, between our, our Apple podcast and then and the five-star reviews and also some stuff that have been thrown our way on Twitter. I want to begin with this one because we're transitioning in from the freshman conversation. Penn State burned 10 red shirts from his 2022 freshman class. Do you think the 2023 freshman class will reach that mark? And, and Daniel, we'll begin with you because we're about seven minutes into this show and I haven't heard a peep out of you, Mr. Gallon. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes I like it that way. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I thought this was an interesting one uh, in terms of forecasting what you have in this freshman class. I think we've spoken highly of a lot of these players coming in um, and in a vacuum, you could see some of these players getting onto the field, being able to, you know, accrue some significant playing time. But once you put them into the context of this roster, which is really, really good, they can get a little harder to find the pathway. So, you know, I don't think they're going to hit 10 again. Um, I put it, I went through and did a, a quick kind of sketched out and I had it between five to maybe eight on the high end. Um, and some of that depends on, uh, you know, it, it is kind of tough to forecast when you look at the, two of the highest rated guys in the class are both offensive linemen. Um, mm -hmm. And we do know that there is a, a bit of a learning curve that even a guy like Drew Shelton, they would have preferred to redshirt him last year. Um, They're put into that situation. So with like Javen Williams and Alex Birchmeyer, um, you know, they were two that, that were kind of uh, on the borderline. And then on top of that, you're bringing in talented defensive backs. And this is what Mark just alluded to talking about King Mack, you know, someone like King Mack and Dakari Nelson, you see the tools uh, that could be there to be big time players on the back end, but there's a lot um, that is ahead of them. So yeah, I have it around five to eight. You know, I could see Tony Rojas, Andrew Rapelier, Elliot Washington, um, potentially Kavion Keys um, as guys that you know we could see over the course of the season. Um, and as kind of a wild card, I, I think that maybe you know one of the running backs could get close um, to the threshold. Um, just given 
that three scholarship running backs is more than two or having that top three is more than the two that you had down the stretch last year, but that's still not a lot. So yeah, I think that, you know, maybe there will be some surprises. Maybe some guys are in that, maybe that Cam Miller space that we saw where, you know, they have a role on special teams. They have, you know, they'll see some time here and there and burn their red shirt, similar to you know Cam Miller, KJ Winston, two guys who had that last year. But um, that part of it's a little tough to forecast now, but where is it now? I think five to eight, but fewer than 10. Before I get to Mark here, I want to just revisit what went down last season. You had uh, 10 guys burn red shirt. It's a huge number. The year before, only two Penn State freshmen burned their red shirt over the course of the 2021 season. And so among those 10, more than half of them entered every single game. So they were just green light all the way. You had the running backs in Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, wide receiver Omari Evans, who, uh, you know, you may not realize it. You look at the stat sheet, five catches on the season. He was involved in every single game, including some some late moments on the road in week one at Purdue. Uh, you had Zane Duran at defensive tackle, Denai Dennis Sutton at defensive end. Of course, Abdul Carter uh, goes from a backup linebacker to a freshman All-American linebacker. Uh, those were your 12 games apiece players. Then you had KJ Winston at safety go for uh, go. 12 games you had Kim Miller at cornerback playing 11 games and then Drew Aller uh, got involved for 10 contests and Drew Shelton was the one that wasn't supposed to be on this list if you if you work your way through it in a perfect scenario for Penn State last season you have Olu Fashionu the entire way through but maybe that wasn't so perfect because then you probably lose Olu to the draft and you won all those games anyway so in this situation you got Drew Shelton a bunch of experience he takes a back step potentially this year but those were your 10 last season. And, Mark, injuries could play a role, just like they did getting Shelton on the field. It's probably going to take some of that, at looking at the position depth, to get these guys involved. But uh, who, who do you kind of view and say, that is a slam dunk guy who's going to be playing September, October? I think there's a few we can pretty safely forecast, even though it's only mid-May. Yeah, if you remember, I think two years ago, I did our red shirt tracker. When it was, when it was only two guys, it was really easy. Yeah. And then last year, you took it over, and it was like a grind every single week. So good timing <laughs> on that for me. And yeah. Not so good timing for you. Sorry. So maybe we'll hand it to Daniel this year to see <laughs> uh, to, to see what happens. But listen, I kind of did the same thing that Daniel did. And I think if you go position by position just really quick, you can see that the numbers aren't going to stack up to last year, which to me, it's almost an unfair comparison because there were so many, so many positions of need and so many players who were ready to play immediately. So QB, I don't see it happening unless there's an injury running back. Don't see it happening unless there's an injury wide receiver. Don't see it happening. Tight end. I see one O line. I think maybe one of the big three from the spring uh, will we'll get an opportunity, maybe two. Uh, D line uh, again, it, it's you, you kind of struggle to see who might be the person there. And then we get to when you talk about the guys who I think are no brainers, or the one guy who is a no brainer is, is Rojas. I don't think there's any question, you know, he's going to be a guy who I think is going to be in that re uh, rotation. And I think he's also going to be one of their core special teams guys. And then you go back to could Tamir, Tamir Robinson be a guy? Uh, you know, he has the size, he has the physical ability. I could see him working his way into the mix at linebacker, but also being a good special teams guy. And then I'll go to King Mac, uh, just because when you have that kind of speed on a safety and, you know, we know the kid loves to hit, he just seems like he would be one of those perfect fit guys for special teams as well. So there's just, there just aren't that many guys there that are absolute green lights from the get go. But as you mentioned, all it takes is an injury or two. I mean, if one of the quarterbacks gets banged up, then Smolik is definitely going to have to, you know, not redshirt. I think ideally they would love to to, to not play him and, and to redshirt him. But injuries, again, knock on wood, may dictate that he will. But I think it's unrealistic to think that this group that many groups are going to match up with the impact last year's group had. I think that was a very special group, and that's not a knock on this group. It's not a knock on previous groups, but I think it was just kind of everything kind of meshed and worked the right way, and you, you saw something special in 2022. And there's another part of that equation. That group that showed up to campus last year showed up 
to a team that was seven and six, floundered their way through the finish and lost a bunch of players to the league before they've got to play in their bowl game, essentially. So it's a very different uh, personnel situation that a lot of these guys are, are, are hitting on the depth chart. And I think this is what James Franklin certainly wants since he got to campus. He's been trying to, to really push towards having that competitive environment where you show up. And if you're not ready to work from day one, if you have that five-star, it doesn't matter. You're going to get buried on the depth chart. There are programs out there where a guy like Dakari Nelson, who's a unicorn of a defender, he shows up. You kind of have to find a role for him in your defensive game plan Right now, you're looking at more wrinkles, potentially luxury roles for guys, and possibly needing to reach down the depth chart if things go awry. Uh, and, and we didn't even mention this at the top of the show. We could have done a little bit earlier. But in this entire conversation in the defensive backfield, which I think is really interesting with a guy like Elliot Washington and then Dakari Nelson and King Mack, you're now adding uh, an SEC transfer to the equation uh, in a Mississippi State cornerback. And, and Daniel, you wrote about this pickup. Um, be- before we before we get off the, of the of the process of newcomers, this is one that you that kind of throws a, a, I guess a new wrench into the process where we've been saying Elliot Washington's going to be a guy who steps up. Now you've got a, a year two player at the college level, uh, an Aldavian Collins, and you know took a red shirt at Mississippi State. Don't know exactly how he how he managed himself behind the scenes, but uh, Terry Smith saw a fit here and they add a player much like Johnny Dixon a few years ago and, and a player they can cultivate within their own program. They don't have to rely on some kind of one and done it, make it all count this year situation. Yeah, Audavian Collins is someone who comes in with, with four years of eligibility uh, remaining after redshirting last year at Mississippi State, uh, six foot, 185 as a three-star uh, coming out of Georgia in the class of 2022. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, with this, you bring him in and it's almost like he was a member of, of last year's class who, who redshirted, uh, essentially. Um, so it, it does change the, the calculus a little bit. You know, at the same time, a guy like Elliot Washington, you know, Aldavian Collins is coming in um, after Elliot Washington had a full semester here. To, to get acclimated to the game, get acclimated to Manny Diaz's defense. So it, it will be interesting to see how that changes the competition. But, you know, I think that it really does help to fortify this room long term. Um, Storm Duck would have been, you know, a nice, I think, luxury for for this season. But it's clear with, you know, what was already here and, and what was coming up behind him that, um, you know, he didn't necessarily see the an opportunity this year or a, you know, one that, that he wanted. But I think that, you know, there is the potential for this room to lose a lot after this year. You know, Dixon is, will be out of eligibility. Daquan Hardy is a fifth year senior, you know, Kalen King has, has made it clear what he thinks he's capable of doing um, and, and what that could mean. So you could immediately be down, you know, your top three of your most experienced and potentially your top three cornerbacks moving forward. So I think this is a good move in terms of, fortifying things um, at the cor- in the corner room. We know that Terry Smith likes competition, and we also know that you know if he can play, Terry Smith is going to put you onto the field. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, you know, after Storm Duck, uh, you know, re-entered the transfer portal. You know, we heard that Penn State was looking at you know returning to that cornerback well. Um, and you know, we we finally finally got there this week. So yeah, I'm curious to see what it looks like. You know where Aldavian Collins fits in to Manny Diaz's defense, to what Terry Smith wants to do, um, but he's someone to certainly have an eye on. Uh, you know this, you know this summer and, and into August. One of the stranger things you see and kind of shows where college football is today was looked like almost a player swap took place on Tuesday as as Collins commits to Penn State as a transfer player. And then uh, our 24-7 Sports Mississippi State site reporting that Kevon Lee, former Nittany Lions running back, is now in Starkville taking classes as a new member of the Bulldogs program. Kevon Lee, of course, three seasons here in Happy Valley. Two of them, he led the Nittany Lions in rushing. He'll get a fresh start in the SEC. And, and as we talk so much about Nick Singleton and Katron Allen and the new guys who have come on board, uh, the players who have left in the past year since Nick Singleton and Catron Allen showed up to campus, uh, they have landed at LSU, Florida State, and now Mississippi State. So they're not exactly plummeting down uh, out of Power Five football when they leave Penn State. Speaks about the the group that that Saquon uh, that uh, that Saquon <laughs> Barkley and and, and 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 Miles Sanders and all those guys have kind of laid the standard for, but also what what Jaywan Sider has been able to do as as the head man in that room. I guess going back, I should answer that question. I, I'm going to go under ten. I, I'd probably put the over under at seven and seven and a half right now. Looking at it, 
in, in mid-May for, for freshman burning redshirt. I think the, the real mystery for me is how many of those back seven defenders can really stake their claim to meaningful minutes and meaningful reps to where they're going to force Manny Diaz and, and, and Stacey Collins to view them more as a confined to four games in the regular season and, and more of a we need this guy on the field. Uh, even if it's 10 to 12 snaps uh, game by game by game because we want to win a championship and that gives us our best chance to do it. So whether it's a Nelson, a, a, a Mac, uh, I think Rojas is, is in a great spot. Uh, but Keys and, and Tamir Robinson, look, uh, we didn't see uh, Tyler Elston out there for much of spring ball. We didn't see a, a lot of uh, Don DeLuca out there. So the linebacker involvement was really heavy for some of the young players, including Robinson. And we'll see what that does for him on the on the field come August. Jumping into a second uh, mailbag question here with you guys. This one has uh, as us look back just a couple of days ago when, uh, Mark, you may have been flying in from Jamaica, but the whiteout is now locked in. It is going to be late September. Matchup against Iowa. The Hawkeyes come to town. Uh, that is going to follow up uh, a few games at, at, here in, in the home stadium. You've got uh, West Virginia leading things off in prime time, and then you're closing out September in prime time. Mark, what did you make of this decision uh, choosing Iowa? And obviously, there's a lot of dynamics in play here where Penn State's, you know, trying to play with, with the hand they're dealt from a network and, and broadcast perspective. Yeah, I know a lot of people are saying, why isn't it Michigan? And I mean, I think it's obvious why it's not Michigan because Michigan State, Ohio State is going to be on NBC on uh, November 11th. And that means that Michigan Penn State is likely going to be that Fox noon game, right? I mean, it, unless both or one team, you know, implodes. Uh, so do you want to have a noon whiteout or do you want to have a, a, a nighttime whiteout? So I don't think they really had much of a choice. I mean, I guess they could have pushed it back to Rutgers on November 18th, <laughs> but there would have been some questions with the weather and maybe the opponent. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure where else you go. Indiana, I mean, obviously it wasn't going to be UMass. So I think it was really the only place that they could go. The one thing I think that's pretty cool about this is it's going to be on CBS. And uh, to the best of my knowledge, CBS hasn't had an opportunity to do a whiteout game. You know, ABC and, uh, and, and ESPN have done a ton of these things. And this is going to be a new network getting an opportunity uh, to, to get a look at what a whiteout's like up close and personal. So uh, from that perspective, I think it's cool. Iowa, good, solid opponent. Uh, you know, do you wish it could have been Michigan? Yeah, but t TV wasn't going to dictate that. And I don't see any sense in having a daytime whiteout unless you absolutely have to. And and when you look at the the you know, the situation that's now set up for them in September, you've got West Virginia primetime setting Saturday night showcase matchup. That's the NBC game, which which is a, you know a new part of the of the process here that we're going to get to see unfold throughout the fall. And then CBS taking that Penn State matchup, and we're going to see Penn State and a, and a lot of Big Ten football on CBS, which we're happy about as at twenty four seven sports. And if you have a VIP subscription to, to Lions twenty four seven, well, guess what? That's going to get you in with Paramount Plus. And with Paramount Plus, you're going to have all the CBS basketball and football coverage. And that means a lot of Big Ten and Penn State action coming your way in the coming years. But enough of that spiel. Uh, the way I see it here is if they get through September unbeaten, that means they will have beaten West Virginia, who they're handedly favored against. And you look at some of those early, early reports from Vegas. But it means they get through Iowa, and both of those games take place with a lot of eyeballs on you, with your young talent showcasing, and it just feels like there is a hell of a springboard put in put out there for James Franklin's crew right now, Daniel. Definitely, I think if you close September with a whiteout win over Iowa, which, given what happened the the last time these two teams played uh, in in twenty twenty one, there is going to be I think a decent amount of juice around this game, uh, at least from a fan base perspective. Um, to begin with, and I think this amplifies it a little bit. But I think that having you know that Iowa game as the whiteout in prime time, you know, that really gives you an opportunity to you know close out the opening month strong, assert yourself on a national stage. And I think from a national perspective, per perception standpoint, um, having the whiteout there is also good. Uh, you know, you're on your bye week the next week, and then you have UMass after that. Uh, leading into the, I believe, Ohio State game after that. So you're going to have two weeks where, unless something drastically goes wrong, you're not really going to be on anyone's radar. So why not, you know, nationally leave everyone with a whiteout, you know, against Iowa, give people something to talk about, think about, you know, through your bye week, you know, before your next uh, 
before your next big game. So, you know, I think that Mark laid it out very well that, you know, this is kind of the the hand that you're dealt uh, when it comes to uh, TV networks dictating things, you know, how, you know, how stuff is going to work. Um, I forgot about the Northwestern game the the week after Iowa. And what the West is not any good anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. You're going to be going from a, you know, Beaver stadium on a Saturday night to an 11 AM kick at, at Ryan field the next week. It's going to be uh, qu- quite the swing probably, but no, I mean, I think that it's a good way to really make a statement in September, you know, assert yourself uh, nationally. I know that, it's not how you start it's how you finish we saw that in 2021 um but you know the way that college athletics work with you know the polls and you know i think that a lot of times if you start strong um a lot of people will remember that and that's something that can carry you you know through the middle part of a schedule uh, down the stretch you build up that benefit of the doubt early it can serve you well when you maybe you hit some adversity later in the season uh penn state riding a three-game win streak in their whiteout setting there was no whiteout of course in 2020 uh but but auburn minnesota michigan the, the last three opponents in beaver stadium for a whiteout uh, penn state getting the better of all of them uh, iowa and penn state did not meet last year but interestingly it's been bizarre i mean they had six straight years out of the west division uh, where, where these two teams are crossing paths and playing. Penn State took the first four of those uh, in James Franklin's era, and, and now the last couple have gone the way of Iowa, including uh, that, that heartbreaking defeat for Penn State a couple of years back uh, when Sean Clifford gets hurt and, and, the pro, and the season gets essentially derailed. And along the way, I don't know if anyone out there needs to be reminded, but Iowa fans let their boos rain down, uh, certainly indicating that they felt like Penn State players were faking or milking injury situations to stop the clock and you all know what happened after that Kirk Ferentz doubled down James Franklin had some passionate comments at practice the ensuing week and it's kind of been left there for now I think Iowa and Penn State fans go back and forth a little bit as far as I can tell on Twitter but expect that scab to be ripped open uh, come late September and we'll get into that conversation a bit more when the time dictates uh, let's move past that and get into a mailback question that looks even further down the road for this Penn State football squad. Who would be your early choice for a, quote, surprise All-Big Ten player out of Penn State here in 2023? So, Mark Brennan, keep Nick Singleton, Abdul Carter to the side for this conversation. Yeah, I'm going to go Johnny Dixon. I mean, I think that he's a guy who didn't start every game last year. I didn't start the majority of games. Uh, but I think so many people are going to be avoiding – Kalen King and Johnny Dixon when he's played he showed us he showed us that he's made plays I mean last year 4.5 tackles for loss three sacks from the secondary two picks one pass or 10 pass breakups and a forced fumble I think if if he gets a bunch of balls thrown at him he's going to have a bunch of interceptions and make a bunch of plays so not saying it's definitely going to happen but I like it when you have one of these players who's kind of opposite uh, you know, a marquee projected high draft pick. I think people may be picking on him, and I think he's going to get opportunities, and I think he has the opportunity to make the most of those opportunities. So I'm going to go uh, with Johnny Dixon, and I'll circle back around on on my second one once everybody else goes if you guys don't hit it. Daniel, what do you have? Yeah, it's a good thing I, I prepared a backup because uh, I had Johnny Dixon as, as one of mine. Um, the other one that I that I singled out, uh, I went with Jalen Reed. Um, I think that he is someone who is a little bit even you know further off the radar uh, than than Johnny Dixon. But you know, you're losing Jair Brown. Um, you know, we know that these safeties are going to get lots of opportunities to play, um, but someone really does need to step up um, in that you know Jair Brown role. And you know, it could be Keaton Ellis, it could be KJ Winston, it could be Zaki Wheatley. It could be, you know, one of the other, you know, million safeties that that we've mentioned. But, you know, I, I think that Jalen Reed, you know, is very experienced entering his third year. Um, we've seen him get used in, in different areas uh, of the defense and in different formations. Um, and just based on our our one Zoom conversation with him early, earlier this spring, he just sounded like someone who is very locked in, you know, really had a purpose, really, you know, knows what he is working for. Um, so, you know, I think that, and also the way that he talked about Jaquan Brisker, Jair Brown, you know, changing his number to number one, you know, there was just kind of a a certain energy around him as, as someone who seems prepared to make that next step. And 
I think that he is someone, uh, you know, at the end of the year um, that could have the statistics to be in that all big 10 conversation. Well, guys, maybe we have to strike Johnny Dixon from the surprise list now because I <laughs> was going to go with him as my number one pick. And I, I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know how, how my feelings are on Johnny Dixon and his potential role for this defense. I don't think he's going to leave the field much. I think he's going to be playing in a different spots on the field. So, yeah, it, it's all there for him to go capitalize and do a lot of things that are going to benefit this program and benefit him individually moving forward toward the league. But I'll go across uh, to the offense and, and I'm going to go with Landon Tangwall. Um, because let's not forget, we're just a couple years removed from him being one of the premier offensive line pickups of this James Franklin era. He was the first offensive lineman in his entire recruiting cycle to get a Nittany Lions offer very early in his high school career. And I, I think we're looking at a position here where if he can stay on the field, and unfortunately because of last year, you got to apply that if, but he was able to get through spring, and I think right now he's well set up playing against a guy like Olu Fashionu and, and next to someone like Hunter Norzad, two very accountable uh, uh, veteran guys who the trust is already in place. If he can capitalize on what he needs to do, I think there's a lot in front of him. Within this ground game, there's going to be a lot of eyes on, on, on this offensive line, and I think Landon Tengwall is the guy who can really come through and emerge next to Olu as that potential all Big Ten caliber player. I don't want to shortchange anyone else, but we got a lot to learn about Drew Shelton, especially since he's making the move to right tackle. You know, Caden Wallace through four years at the college level. We haven't seen all Big Ten performer out of him yet. Uh, a Sal Wormley put together a, a full season last year, but wasn't at that level at that point. Venga Yohane is maybe a guy who carries that caliber down the road. But I think when you assess this offensive line group, we talk about how deep it is. You probably think, well, there probably should be more than one all Big Ten offensive lineman. No, you don't need two first team all Big Ten guys. And if I got to pick one right now, I'm leaning Landon Tangwall, who in year three on campus here as a redshirt sophomore, I think is a guy that some people have kind of forgotten about just how excited they were when he came here. And it may be coming together for him, Phil Troutwine and this offensive front where it works out for him, works out for the group. Uh, so that's where I'll go with my pick here. Guys, we got one more mailbag question to get to. Uh, this is a fun one. Uh, it sounds like you had varying degrees of difficulty coming up with a name on this one. Uh, and, and I'm going to go with Daniel, who, who had the most difficulty, if I read these texts correctly. Um, one player from the past of the James Franklin era. So, you know, this goes back to 2014 and no, no earlier than that. And then you put that player – and as they were then, not now as a 30-year-old, but as they were at Penn State <laughs> on this 2023 roster in hopes of improving your college football playoff chances, who's the player? Yeah, I, I obviously lack the the institutional knowledge uh, that, that my co-hosts have uh, right here. So, yeah, I had to do some thinking, and I think that maybe a, maybe a bit of a, a cop-out answer would be uh, 2021 P.J. Mustafer. Um, that those first six games of uh, what he was able to do, you look at the defensive tackle position, but I'm going back to Chris Godwin. Um, I think that we've heard, you know, we've seen that Penn state wants to address the wide receiver position, um, you know, with the transfers that they've brought in, um, you know, you look at the roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And you know, there are players at, at every spot where you can see, you know, you know, potential star, or even you know, superstar potential, um, and then you get to wide receiver and, you know, we saw really good things from Keandre Lambert Smith down the stretch. Um, you know, Harrison Wallace has earned the trust of the staff based on how much he played last year, how he performed this spring. Um, and then as James Franklin said, you know, after those two, it's been, you know, a little, a little questionable. And so, you know, I think that bringing that having Godwin on this team would add another dimension, a little bit of a bigger bodied wide receiver. Um, that's a little bit different than, than what is on, on the roster right now. Um, and I think that that would be a, a good target for Drew Aller to have. All right, Mark, you've covered the entire James Franklin era and then some. What's your pick here? What, what are you, nuts, Daniel? I mean, you have to go with Micah Parsons, don't you? There it is. <laughs> you don't have to go that far back. Could you imagine Abdul Carter, Micah Parsons, and Curtis Jacobs? I mean, that would match up with lavar harrington brandon short and mac morrison i mean that would r r rack up with uh, uh shane conlon trey bauer and Pete Giftopoulos, the uh, the greats the i mean they're, daniel they're, there there's the institutional knowledge yeah, right there. yeah I mean, there dan, it is. dan connor tim shaw paul paz leslie i mean you could go there have been some great linebacker cores at penn state but that would be like unbelievable you figure out who you want to play the mic put the other two guys on either side of them and your defense isn't going to give up a point all year
I mean, that would be something spectacular uh, to, to see Micah Parsons with all due respect. And I know what people say about with all due respect to the Mike linebackers they have. If you had those three guys, wow. I think this could be one of the best defenses dating back to that one in 1940 or whatever it was that I don't think gave up any points. So I think this defense would be just absolutely unbelievable if you were to park Micah Parsons. The only thing I dislike about Micah Parsons, well, two things. He plays for the Cowboys. And number two, he showed up as a Sixers fan. Did you guys catch this? And then the Sixers lose to Boston. Then he shows up at Boston as a Boston Celtics fan. Having said all that, he's a hell of a player. And if you put him on his team, his defense would be unbelievable. Yeah, I was I was going to say this. I mean, I, I can't pass up Micah. For, I mean, you can maybe give a guy like Saquon thought, but this roster already has Nick Singleton and Catron Allen. Right. So, I, I mean, look, Micah would have been my pick. But uh, with him off the board, I, more of a practical pick and a practical need for this particular Penn State roster, I'll go Jahan Dotson. Um, I think I probably would have gone him over any receiver because I covered him. So I'm going to have some of that bias. I know Daniel didn't cover Godwin here at Penn State as well. But what Jahan Dotson became was not the guy who showed up to campus in 2018 as that late UCLA flip. I mean, we're talking about someone who in many ways carried the offense in 2020, uh, even through the 0-5 start. 2021, they're sputtering on the ground, and this guy's just plucking everything from the air. Um, that I mean, for someone who doesn't have the physical catch radius and, and that wingspan that other wide receivers bring, he will become a – I mean, he's a vacuum for you down there. So my thought process is – well, you lock him as a starter on the outside. You've got Keandre Lambert-Smith. You've got Omari Evans. You've got Harrison Wallace. All of a sudden, that changes up a lot of things. You've still got uh, Keandre inside. Uh, you've still got uh, a guy like uh, Dante Cephas coming in. All of a sudden, it's not that hard to, to find four, five, six legitimate wide receivers who are ready to attack opponents. So that's kind of where my mind went, and, and Jahan Dotson is the best at the wide receiver position. I've seen do it in a Penn State uniform covering this team uh, in the James Franklin era. I, I'll, I would have stuck with him regardless, I think. So that's where I land. We got a couple wide receivers. We got Micah Parsons, um, and, and and we almost had – I mean, that would have been something if you took P.J. Mustafer over Micah Parsons. That would have been – you didn't quite go there, but uh, I think I think Dan, Mark's right because Manny Diaz, if you put – if you said, here's Micah Parsons, figure it out. I think he'd find a way to, to get the 11 on the field that get the job hey, done. One, one other guy we should mention that I think would be a cool addition to this team would be Jordan Stout. You know, I'm mm -hmm. joking a lot about how great this defense would be, but there's a lot of question marks with punter and kicker. And if, I think this defense is going to be really good. I mean, it is shaping up to re be really good, even without Micah Parsons. Uh, and if you add a, a top-tier established punter to that group, uh, again, I'll – I'll dip back into the, the the way back machine. And in 1986, John Bruno, that defense was so great. But if you go back and look at that Fiesta Bowl win over Miami, John, the late, great John Bruno was really the unsung hero of that Penn State team. And I think when you look at this Penn State team, it's going to be imperative for one of these punters to step up in all seriousness. So if there was one guy, be, if, if somebody else took Micah Parsons, which I can't even believe, that the person who went ahead of me didn't take Micah Parsons, <laughs> I was going to go with Jordan Stout. That's what I get for going uh, drafting for need instead of best player available. It, yeah, that, it, it always you gets go. you. <laughs> well, that was fun. We've, we've got a ways to go before this team's actually back on the field, so we'll have more opportunities to dive into the mailbag. Like I said, for our subscribers at Lions 24-7, keep an eye on the coming day. It's going to get something pinned up on the board. We'll get a thread going where if you have questions about this team, maybe some fun, debatable topics like, like we had on, on this episode, uh, toss them in there and we'll try to address them uh, as we balance guests and breaking news and everything else we try to cover here on the podcast. Before we get to Tyler Calvaruso to break down some of the latest in recruiting and look ahead to this weekend, we've got quarterbacks coming to town. Um, I want to get to the basketball edition and I'll be the one to take the bullet as the host of this show to, to say his name for the first time. We're still tracking down the correct pronunciation, but the Nittany Lions go international with a 2023 basketball recruiting edition. They get Braji Gudmundsen out of Iceland. I hope I was close. We'll, we'll lock that down pretty soon. Uh, but, but Daniel, you wrote the breaking story for us at Lions 24-7. We, we had a little bit of a, a head start in knowing this was coming down the pike. We're, we're all scrambling to figure out who exactly this guy is. Um, and, and what did you learn along the way about who exactly is this guy? Yeah, Braji is a six foot five, 180-pound uh, point guard uh, who's played professionally in Iceland for the past four years. Um, he's going to be a 20-year-old freshman. Uh, when when the season starts uh, in in November, uh, his birthday is in, in October. 
Um, and, you know, I spent some time watching some highlights and I think that you can kind of, you can see, um, you know, the makings of someone who, you know, could potentially play in the big 10. Um, you know, I think that he, he showcased some, you know, I don't want to say that I was surprised by the athleticism that I saw because I didn't really know <laughs> what I was going to be looking at <laughs> when I, when I went into it, but, you know, very, you know, there, he showed some athleticism, he showed some good vision on the court, um, you know, I've, he felt like a very smooth ball handler um, and, and someone who kind of knew what he was doing um, back at the point. Um, but yeah, I came away from and you know he did shoot only 28 percent from three and 34, I think high 34 percent from the field um, last season, um, which you know, I think given what, how we've seen Penn State play in recent years and, you know, what we could maybe how, maybe how we could see them play. Um, against Mike Ro- under Mike Rhodes is you know that raises an eyebrow a little bit um, as something that you know okay like let's see it when when it gets here how does that translate um, but you know I think that I liked what I saw um, you know on on the film and you know I think that a lot of the additions that Penn State has made in the portal um, this offseason have have really been focused on the front court or at least that wing position because we know you know, Mike Rhodes wants these long, rangy athletes to play for that defense. But you know, I think this is someone that you put in a backcourt, um, you know, with Ace Baldwin, Jameel Brown, Kanye Clary, Nick uh, Nicholas Kern Jr., uh, and Raquandis Mitchell. Um, I think that, you know, he's someone who could, you know, turn out to be, um, you know, a depth piece. You know, you know, he's the third to last open spot, you know, on this Penn State roster. Um, not everyone that you bring in, uh, is going to be it's kind of like what we talked about with um you know Davian Collins coming in you know for the football team you know not everyone you add right now is going to be instant impact you know not everyone who comes in you know from the portal is going to be like a day one starter so you know I think that this is kind of a good developmental piece to put um you know on your roster even though he is advanced a bit in age I think it will be good for Penn State to have a, a true freshman uh, on their roster this year just in terms of long-term health of the program. But, you know, I'm excited to, to see what he can do on the court and excited to learn how to, you know, correctly pronounce his name. <laughs> Daniel, I know you're up against it. and You've got to maybe hit the exit door right now. Before we get to Tyler Calvaruso, though, I wanted to just bring in Mark Brennan because to this point, the Rhodes era has been all transfer-based. Seven guys added via the transfer portal, experienced players to some degree from different levels of college basketball. Now we've got one freshman to hang our hat on after we saw three go by the wayside. What are you hearing about this pickup, Mark? Because certainly there was some some unique research done and unique efforts made by this Penn State staff to make this happen. Yeah, just from from somebody who has seen him play a lot on tape, uh, I'm told he's not your typical Euro. And, and I think it, it speaks to, to some of what Daniel said. Yeah, when you think of a typical Euro, and, and this is kind of a stereotype, but most of these guys are really good shooters, not the most physical guys, not don't have the most bounce. Uh, this guy is a little bit different. I mean, I think he has a shot that they think that they can help, that they can continue to develop. Uh, and he'll get better in that regard, but he has a really good handle, is comfortable playing physical ball, getting into the paint. If you look at some of the tape of him, he doesn't mind bouncing off of people and getting to the rim. He has a little bit more, uh, again, bounce uh, than what you've seen. And then what you like about some of these players is, I want to phrase this the right way, but they're playing at a different level uh, in a way. They're playing Sometimes they're playing almost pro ball. You know, uh, against professional type players, older players in a lot of instances. And he's also playing internationally at his own level. So this is a very experienced guy, uh, very basketball savvy. Um, I, I think bringing somebody in is important. Micah Shrewsbury wasn't able to do it his first year and they still were OK. But I think bring, being able to bring somebody in. Uh, to kind of be a fa- little bit of a foundational piece is helpful. And this kid is going to come in with a different maturity level than most freshmen, you know, pushing 20 years old. Uh, again, I think there's room to grow, room to fill out. Uh, 6'5", 180 at this point. Wouldn't be surprised if they get him up to 200 pretty quickly. And I think just a good all-around guard. So I think it's a nice pickup. How much w- How much of an instant impact will he make? I'm not sure because they're bringing in so many other veteran players who have played at this level but he does have that kind of international slash pro experience in his back pocket. And I think that'll work well for him. And maybe a sign of the times in college athletics, college basketball, but we're seeing 
quite the motley crew assembled for this 2023-24 Penn State basketball roster. These guys are going to have to become fast friends from all different walks of life as this thing comes together. Well, we were wondering if they'd get to to, to 10 scholarships, and now they got bodies. Yeah, so they're here. Yeah, they got the bodies. Well, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon, good to have you both back in the fold. We'll talk to you real soon. See you on the field in a few days. Uh, We're going to get Tyler Cabaruso now. Thanks, Tyler. See you guys. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. You expected someone else? So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. (laughs) Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Rise and shine, football fans. This is Susanna Fuller from Morning Footy, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Galazzo Network covering the breadth of the global game. Join me, Nico Cantor, Charlie Davies, Alexis Guerreros, and guests every morning for the perfect blend of news, analysis, conversation, and exclusive interviews. If you love soccer, then look no further. We've got you covered for Europe's top five leagues, the W Gold Cup, the Champions League Knockout Stage, CONCACAF Nations League, NWSL, MLS, Transfer News, and much more. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Subscribe to Morning Footy. All right, let's shift gears to recruiting. Bring in the Tyler Calvaruso that I just mentioned. And Tyler, we have had a lot to discuss in, in terms of the quarterbacks. And we have more to discuss in just a moment because there's some decisions being made. Penn State staff doing some evaluating. But I want to begin our conversation here with the guys that quarterbacks play fetch with, the wide receiver prospects in the 2024 recruiting class. Still no commitments on board for Penn State. This class has grown tremendously, but we haven't seen that spot impacted yet. First off, how are you doing? Second off, how's that wide receiver board doing? First off, I'm doing well. Second, I think we have uh, we have more clarity on the wide receiver board at this point in the cycle than I think we've had at any point. During Marcus Higgins' tenure as wide receiver coach, and that doesn't really come as much of a surprise to me given where we are at in the cycle, you know, with official visits approaching and May winding down. It's pretty – it's becoming pretty clear – who Higgins really wants in this class and who Penn State is going hard after. I mean, the big name right now is Jeremiah Smith, the five-star Ohio State committees, I believe our number two prospect nationwide right now. I mean, he's one of the best wide receiver prospects we've seen in a little bit. He's up there among the elite of the elite, and he's going to be on campus for his official visit June 16th. You know, it's interesting with a recruit like Smith where, you know, he hasn't been 100% shut down, and that's something that Penn State has continued to work behind the scenes. Is he actually going to make it to campus? For that official visit, you know, it's one of those ones we're going to have to wait and see. But as of right now, it's locked in. He's going to be there on June 16th. That's what he's planning to do as of right now. That's one we'll be keeping an eye on in the coming weeks as it inches closer to see whether he is indeed going to make it to campus. And beyond him, I mean, a lot of top-tier guys, Penn State is involved with the Josiah Brown, you know, Jare Hawkins. He's a guy we've been talking about a lot as one of those. He just picked up an Alabama offer. Earlier today, you know, he Pense is intrigued by his speed. It's going to be interesting to see where he falls on the board when it's all said and done, but he's on the radar. Chance Robinson, the Miami commit, you know, Penn State's still feeling optimistic about its chances with him getting him on campus for an official visit early in the month. Nick Marsh, I mean, probably the most important target at the position right now, I would say, based on talent level, where Penn State is at and just priority-wise. He's one of those guys the staff really wants to land when – it gets him on campus on that June 9th official visit. And Jalen Hornsby's another guy that the staff is really high on. One of those guys they would take right now if he wanted to join the class. He's yet to lock in an official, but they're working towards that. I mean, the board, it's a busy one right now, man. You know, And there are a bunch of uh, tertiary guys as well, you know, second-tier guys that Penn State is pretty involved with. And, you know, depending on how the chips fall, maybe some of those guys become top-tier guys and wind up being takes. It's just something we're going to have to keep an eye on. But a lot going on at wide receiver right now. And, you know, we have more hard names, I feel like, than we have had at any point in the cycle. Yeah, we're, what, three months into to Marcus Hagan's time as the wide receivers coach here at Happy Valley. Um, a couple of really important transfer pickups for the room in, in Malik McLean and more recently Dante Cephas. They've got Carmelo uh, Taylor coming to town as a freshman. But we've yet to see any commitment pop up, so it's a little hard to, to exactly gauge 
um, the process by which Hagen's leads a guy to the finish line, I guess is, is where I'm getting at. What are you hearing about the interactive nature of Marcus Hagen's, the ability to sell a, a vision? Because right now we don't have a lot of tangible things to discuss in terms of results, but there's so much happening away from the spotlight trying to set up those kind of fireworks. What is the feedback on that? I mean, feedback's been positive given, you know, what he kind of inherited from a recruiting board perspective. I think he walked into uh, a tough situation, you know, Taylor Stubblefield. It was obvious that Penn State wanted to upgrade its wide receiver recruiting. That was a factor that went into the decision to move on from Taylor Stubblefield and, you know, just kind of get a new voice in the room and a new voice on the recruiting trail as well. Higgins has done a pretty good job of developing relationships with guys in a pretty short period of time. I think you're seeing that kind of coming together with the quality of player that Penn State is going to be getting on campus for official visits. I mean, Marsh, that's the one that stands out to me when we talk about what Higgins has been able to accomplish. Obviously, he has to go out and seal the deal. You know, it's a results-driven industry. That's just how it goes. But to get Marsh on campus and not only to get him in town, but have that visit go better than Marsh was anticipating it was going to go, I mean, that just speaks to what Higgins has been able to accomplish with Marsh and a bunch of other guys. I think he's really been able to uh, relate to some of these guys. You know, I think for a lot of them, you know, I, I know he bowed out and Penn State bowed out of the Keelan Adams recruitment. That was one that, you know, maybe initially looked like Penn State was going to have a pretty good chance given Higgins' Virginia ties. Didn't go that well, but there have been a lot of other positives recruit in the position as well so recruits seem to like Higgins which is you know obviously a positive given the how important relationships are when it comes to landing guys so I think right now Penn State's trending in the right direction recruiting at the position but at the end of the day like I said you need to go out and you need to land these guys that's going to be the ultimate determination of success or failure in the cycle yeah, and one thing they don't have right now in the room, and I don't know if it's being held against them in any way, maybe by other programs who are doing some negative recruiting, but they don't have a guy in the receiver room right now. They hope they have a couple of them that's really done it in the Penn State uniform and, and been that 1A kind of receiver where you can point to and say, here's the blueprint. But then again, this is a new wide receivers coach. You're kind of hitting the reboot button on that from a personnel standpoint. And I think by the time we get through the season, you're going to see production out of that position. It's just really a matter of who are the guys that are going to emerge, who are the figures that are going to emerge. And you're only – 14 months uh, less than that removed from Jahan Dotson being a first round pick. So you don't have to look too far in the rearview mirror at the receiver spot. Let's get back to quarterback Tyler. And, and it's you know come up the last couple episodes as, as kind of an evolving situation here in 2024 for Mike Yersich and this coaching staff uh, trying to find the right guy or the right two guys in the 2024 cycle. Uh, Cutter Bully, cross him off the board. He is in the 2024 cycle after all. He did, he's going to reclassify from 2025. But Penn State, as as we anticipated, was not the pick. He's going to stay close to home, landing with Kentucky. And then Michael Van Buren, another name that we've discussed quite a bit. His uh, announcement is set for Saturday. We're not expecting that to be Penn State. And so where does that leave us right now? It leaves Ethan Gronkmeyer at the center of pretty much everything, I would say. you know He's going to be back in town again this weekend. He's going to be on Penn State's campus on Saturday before taking part in the Elite 11 Regional. So he's the one, really, to, that I'm keeping the closest eye on right now. Just the way this one's trending, you know, that Clemson offer that we've talked about a bunch with him still has not come in. He's been to Penn State you know, twice in as many weekends. He's looking to wrap things up sooner rather than later. So, you know, you read the tea leaves and you could see where he's trending. And the relationship with the staff there is good. Like just fit in the offense. That was something that was really important for him when he visited last week and to get a better feel for schematically how he would fit. You know, that was the discussions that the Penn State staff was having with him over Zoom. But, you know, to get in person and break down the film with Mike Garrett, just Daniel Bryan, the rest of the offensive coaching staff, it's a value, it was a valuable thing for him. And I think it left a pretty strong impression. So I like Penn State for Gronk Mario. You know, we've touched on a bunch of other names as well. You know, Ryan Puglisi, Mike Yurch just getting out to watch him throw earlier this week. He'll be in town for the State College Elite 11 Regional. We'll see if he winds up making it to campus. That's, you know, kind of one of those ones that's to be determined depending on what yeah. he wants to do. Miles O'Neill, yeah, and one who has uh, drawn a lot of attention from Penn State fans so far this cycle. A lot of guys want to see him on the board. He's been surging in terms of power five interest. Just picked up an offer from Texas A&M. He, he's another name that we're monitoring. We'll see if he picks up an offer. You know, he likes the Penn State staff, but again, got to see what the, what direction the Nittany Lions decide that they want to go in. And, you know, other names include Trevor Jackson. That's still, they're still working on getting him on campus for an official visit in June. Tyler Cherry, still not a whole lot doing on that front from what I've been hearing. And I mean, Luke Kromnick is, you know, 
it's a long way until now in the early signing period. So we're gonna have to see what ha- if anything happens there. But yeah, there's a lot going on at quarterback. Yeah, so Puglisi, for those who may have missed the last episode, uh, plays up in New England, committed to the Georgia Bulldogs. They just picked up a second quarterback commitment this week. That second quarterback commitment happens to be the number one overall prospect in the country by a lot of people's assessment. So that leaves you wondering, on the same day that Puglisi and his school had a bunch of coaches on campus, including Mike Yurcich, watching them go through some work, leads you to wonder, does Puglisi take a closer look at other options? Would Penn State offer to try to pry him away from the Bulldogs? Um, and if he does make it to campus, I shouldn't say that. If he makes it to town, does he also make it to campus? I know it's hard to visit State College without visiting campus, but he has been clear that he has the intent to be at the Elite 11 camp on Sunday. He has not been clear that he plans to check out Penn State football facilities, meet with coaching staff. And as, if we haven't made this abundantly clear and every time we've referenced the upcoming Elite 11 event, you're not going to see James Franklin and Mike Yersich rolling around the field in a golf cart. This isn't how it works. This is separate from Penn State. Uh, fortunately, we're going to have access. We just got our email before we sat down and recorded this podcast. Tyler will be making the trip to campus, and, and we'll get a chance to watch these quarterbacks. But Puglisi is one of them. As you said, Grunk Buyer is another. Uh, and, and you mentioned that O'Neill's coming to camp. I mean, it, it is going to be a really nice opportunity for us to get eyes on these guys, to get some, some video coverage of these guys going through work. And in the Elite 11 structure, uh, you're not going to face 11-man defenses. We're not quite sure what the wide receiver setup is going to look like for them, who they're bringing in to throw balls to. But they're going to put them through some pretty challenging things that force them outside of their comfort zone. Had a chance to follow the national tour for Elite 11 before I covered any team specifically in my career. And so I spent three years or so going to all these regional camps, the, the, the national camps. And this is a really informative event, even though it's not that traditional quarterback versus defense setting. And the big part that I get out of this, and, and we'll share it with, with all of our listeners out there, maybe we'll get some, some, some podcast conversation out of it, is we have some pretty good connections with the Elite 11 staff as currently constructed. So we'll be able to use our own eyes, and then we should be able to tap into some expertise with the Elite 11 guys and, and see what their eyeballs saw from some of these quarterback prospects. And there's another that you mentioned before we started recording, way out of the region and out of the 2024 class, but Keldon Ryan, part of this crew. Yeah, he is, and he's not the only one. Twenty twenty-five was that you know we're going to be keeping an eye on on Sunday. Uh, just before we started recording as well, I got the chance to catch up with Blake Hebert from Massachusetts. Man, his recruitment has been surging. He's added a bunch of Power Five offers so far this month alone. He's looking forward to the visit, and he doesn't have an offer from the Nittany Lions yet. He told me one would be pretty big for his recruitment. He's focused more on building relationships and getting to know the staff, getting comfortable with Mike Gertrude's and company more than he is having an offer in hand. You know, he's a big relationships guy, but having one, that'd be a big deal for him. And I think there is a good chance that, you know, if Penn state likes what it sees, it could jump into that mix because he's a pretty talented passer based on his tape. He's a composite four-star guy at this point in the cycle. He's the top ranked recruit in Massachusetts. So there's a lot to like there. Another one who's going to be there that I'm going to be keeping an eye on now is Cole gear from uh, Deerfield Academy in Massachusetts got this chance to see gear a little bit earlier or not earlier this month, last month, late last month at the UC report in Jersey in late April. And he really shined that day. He wanted the burning camp MVP honors. Another guy who doesn't have an offer from Penn state right now, but has been in frequent contact with the staff and he likes his potential fit in that offense. He was telling me he likes the way the Penn state tosses the ball around. He sees himself you know, fitting into that schematically pretty nicely. So that's a plus for him. He told me Penn State's high on his list. So that's a guy I'm going to be keeping an eye on. You know, one of those guys who could really, you know, continue boosting his stock with a strong showing at the Elite 11. You know, maybe that involves Penn State getting involved with an offer. We're just going to have to see. But those three guys, there's a lot going. We talked about the 2024 quarterbacks. A lot of talent in 2025 make it to State College as well. And one of those, just circling back to the name I referenced before, uh, tossing it to Tyler there, Keldon Ryan yeah. out of Fort Worth, Texas. He has a Penn State offer in that 2025 class. And uh, this is always an event where you come in with your list of names, the guys who have the 24-7 sports profiles, the guys who maybe have the four stars next to their name, the dozen-plus offers underneath their name. But then there's always one of those quarterbacks who shows up, and it's like, whoa, this guy's got to be on more radars. And and so that's something we'll be you – know, who were the guys that we weren't forecasting coming into the event on Sunday that we leave saying, 
okay, we need to learn a little bit more about this passer because this is going to draw a large crowd of quarterbacks. We're just starting to get confirmations on who's going to be there. But this event, the, the Northeast Regional for Elite 11, used to be at the New York Jets headquarters for yes. several years. You used to have to make that trip up the Florham Park. Beautiful place, not easy to get to. And now it just happens to be right here in the neighborhood. Uh, and so it's a beautiful thing. We look forward to our coverage on Sunday. Sticking with the quarterback theme here, Mike Yersich was on the move uh, into the chopper. And landing in Ohio to see a 2025 quarterback on Wednesday. Yeah, Ryan Montgomery of Finley High in Ohio. He's a his brother is is signed to play at Ohio State. So I've received you know a lot of questions like, what are we doing here? <laughs> What's the point? Why why are we bothering? I mean, the fact of the matter is Montgomery at this stage in his recruitment, he's evaluating all of his options. The crystal ball reads 100% in favor of Ohio State, but, you know, it's maybe not a lock. I, I think the Buckeyes have a pretty nice lead there, but he is examining other options. He's been to Michigan State for multiple visits. He just flew out to Washington for a visit. So I, I he's been to Penn State. He's been to a bunch of other Big Ten programs. So it's not like he's locked in on just, you know, Ohio State or bust in his recruitment. You know, he's listening to other staffs, and Penn State is among those staffs. And I like his talent. He's a top 24-7 guy, good arm. You know, Mike Harris just rolls into town in the helicopter, gets a nice little look at him. So that, that was a good day. That was a good experience for Montgomery, who, I mean, it's been a busy week for him. He's had a lot of blue blood programs roll through and, you know, get a look at him on the turf out there at Finley. He's been throwing a lot of passes this week, having a lot of conversations. So it's a good time for him in his recruitment. And another 2025 guy real quick that I just want to uh, check in on. I just heard back from him is Beckham Kritza from Miami Central. Penn State got him on campus last – what was the last – I think it was early last month. It was either early last month or March. He was on campus for a visit. Things went really well there. Picked up an offer from the staff while he was in town. He just told me that he's going to be back this weekend. Not an Elite 11 regional participant, but he's going to be visiting this weekend. So that's another development on the 2025 quarterback front. Breaking it live here on the podcast. I like it. Uh, and 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 Chris is a guy that I, I think I'd spoken to at some point earlier on four-star guy number mm -hmm. 10 overall quarterback in the 2025 class so yeah there's a lot going on right now at quarterback in a couple different cycles we'll see when that next commitment comes through you got to go back to last summer with jackson smolik for the most recent quarterback edition uh, for this program and i want to finish off this episode with a, a trio of in-state offers that have gone out recently uh, a couple to the underclassmen but one that stood out uh, at the edge position uh, 2020, 2024 prospect out of Chester, right near Philadelphia, and Dominic Toy. Yeah, he's an intriguing one. He's a guy that Penn State, you know, they want to get him on campus early in June, get him there for a workout because while the traits, you know, they kind of jump off the page. He's 6'5, 215, still kind of skinnier on the frame side, but there's a lot to work with there in terms of upside. And the staff wants to get him in town early in June, verify, you know, some of those, those measurables, you know, some of the speed times and just really see what he's about in a camp setting. It, it's it's an, definitely an offer that has my interest because a lot of schools are after Toy as a tight end. Penn State's mm -hmm. after him as an edge rusher, and I think that's ultimately the right call because I think that's where his highest upside lies. He's been a good tight end prospect throughout his high school career. You know, he he is. I'd say he is a legitimate power five tight end prospect. But I do think that you're looking at a player who, given his frame and you know the upside there you know the pounds that he could put on and how he could carry that I think you're looking at a potentially high level defensive end recruit when it's all said and done I think he has that kind of capability and ceiling to him so Penn State Deion Barnes get involved with the offer he was toy was telling me that you know he likes the fact that Barnes is kind of where he's from so they can relate a little bit and we're gonna have to see where this one goes you know I think the way things play out for him in June will go a long way in determining where he falls on the board come the end of the cycle yeah, I, just from the five minutes of, of video I watched on him after that offer went out because he was a curious prospect, listed as a tight end at 24-7 sports, uh, recruited as an edge rusher by this program, and 13 touchdown catches last season. That that stood out, uh, six sacks. But I think you're right when you say what's the highest ceiling for what this athlete is going to be at 21 years old when he's really going to be impacting your program at his peak. I'd, I'd yeah. go defense. I think there's, I there's very little question about that. And and, and Dion Barnes, as you said, from that area, uh, a guy who you know filled out and, and grew up as a def as a, as an edge rusher during his time here. Really curious to see where this one goes because um, just on the surface, it feels like this could be a, a one that that you don't wait long on. You know, you maybe you, you check yeah. some, you, you dot some eyes, cross some T's, but on the surface, it feels like 
from offer to commitment potentially, maybe there's not a huge timeline in play. Uh, and Tyler, there was a couple other in-state offers, 2026 class, that's going to scare some people off. But you got Tyler Merrill, a big offensive lineman out of Cumberland Valley. And then we go back to Philadelphia, quarterback Samaj Beals at a Roman Catholic. You're bringing in a Roman Catholic, uh, outgoing senior, and Jamil Lyons here in June. And, and now you turn to a sophomore quarterback with that same program. Yeah, just starting with Beals, he had a uh, he had a pretty good freshman season at Roman Catholic, and that drew the interest of a lot of Power Five programs, Penn State included. I mean, you see him on the tape because he spent so much time throwing a tight here at Denmark, the Oregon commit. So yep. he's out there, and he wound up being a second team All Catholic League, you know, recognized player at the end of his freshman season. So he's already taking those strides. It's not just upside with him. There's tangible production to go along with his tape. He's up over a dozen offers now. He's really excited about having the Penn State one. He's looking to get on campus in June. Roman Catholic has a lot of seven-on-sevens scheduled for this summer. You know, they took part in the Penn State seven-on-seven camp, one of the Penn State seven-on-seven camps last summer. You know, it's looking like that's going to happen again. So I'd expect Beals to be throwing around some passes in Happy Valley at some point here yeah. soon. And then with Merrill, the big guy from Cumberland Valley, I, he was he's hyped about this Penn State offer. He called it a milestone early in his recruitment. Really, one of my favorite interviews I've had in a while he went really in depth not only where he's at with Penn State in terms of his interest but really just going in depth on his recruitment how he's going to approach his process he is a very impressive young man and yeah I based on the list of schools that he gave me that have been reaching out and inviting him to camp I mean we're talking about some of the best in college football Bama Georgia Notre Dame you know I could keep going Florida State a bunch of them and we're all looking to get him on campus in some capacity he's high on Penn State I'd say Penn State made the right call offering as early as it did He's going to be looking to get – well, he is going to get back to campus this summer. He said he's going to take part in the camp. Not quite sure when yet, but that's something that is going to happen. So two in-state guys, definitely keep an eye on moving forward. Penn State doing fantastic in the 2024 cycle on home turf and, and keeping guys home and coming here to Happy Valley, uh, working to build that into the 2025-2026 cycles, as you can see evidenced by some new offers. Hey, camp season's upon us. We got we got this Sunday, then we got a bunch of Penn State camps yep. working us through June, through July. So a lot more context coming on the recruiting trail. We love that kind of stuff. And Tyler Calvaruso, thank you for your coverage. Uh, any kind of tease for what we've got coming up behind the paywall for our VIP subscribers in the next few days? Really, we're just going to be locking down who's going to be on campus on Saturday because, you know, Sunday's the main event, but, you know, Saturday's a nice little appetizer for Penn State, you know, getting a bunch yeah. of guys on campus, getting the chance to further some relationships. And, you know, with a guy like Ethan Gronkemeyer, who knows where things could go and getting back to town again, you know, Penn State feels good about where it's at with him. So there's definitely a lot coming. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting up to State College and watching this Elite 11, man. It's going to be my first one. So I'm excited to see these guys throw. Unfortunately, Mother Nature so far looks yes. like it's going to be really nice to us on Sunday for that camp as well. Mid-70s, sunny. Really no excuses not to throw the ball well out there, which is always a good thing. You cover some of these events in rain. It can kind of oh, yeah. adjust your perception. So this should be a really good spot for us to do some QB evaluating. Tyler Cavaruso, appreciate the time here on the podcast. Talk to you real soon. Appreciate having me back on, man. All right, good stuff from my colleagues at Lions247.com and Tyler, Daniel, and Mark. Hop on board right now, 30% off an annual subscription or $1 for one month. Take a little test drive, see what we're all about at Lions247.com and decide if you want to stick around. For now, I'm stepping aside. we got to get ready to cover this camp this weekend. A bunch of content coming your way at Lions247.com. A bunch of stuff from earlier this week about the new additions to the roster. We'll have some more stories circulating up on the site in the coming days there as well. Thanks to my colleagues. Thanks to our listeners. I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you real soon on the Lions 24-7. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.